In today's talk, I will speak about how we can be anchored in ourselves, how we, be, how we can become independent, and then I will also speak about the common ground of metta and virtue. I want to begin with a quote that Ayaviranyani actually mentioned yesterday in her talk. As far as I remember, I have not yet used it this year. Previous years, yes. But maybe Ayaviranyani has been in that timeless space where there is no past, no present, no future. <laughs> it's the following quote from the Buddha. Better than offering 100 pots of rice three times a day is the practice of metta for one moment. And we must understand that at the time of the Buddha, if somebody was able to offer 100 pots three times a day, that person was a millionaire. But the Buddha said, even better than that is just one single moment of loving kindness. And one moment, the Buddha defined as the time it takes to snap one's finger or the time it takes to blink your eyes or, and I like this um, illustration, and this shows how practical the Buddha was and how he understood ordinary people's lives. He said, one moment is the time it takes to pull the other of a cow. <laughs> and so with this, um, with this statement, the Buddha shows how effective and beneficial the practice of metta is. Now, our metta meditation retreat is going towards its end. And so naturally questions arise in connection with the practice. How can we integrate the practice in our day-to-day -day life? So how can we continue this practice? How can we live it, practice it, in our ordinary day-to-day -day lives? Or what should we be careful of? So in this talk, I will mention some basic reflections that help integrate metta in our ordinary day-to-day -day life. So first, I want to explore two aspects of metta namely how to be anchored in ourselves, how to be independent. 
And then in the second part of the talk, I will show the common ground of metta and sila, of loving kindness and virtue. So in regard to these two aspects of metta, there are these two questions. How can we be anchored in ourselves? Or how can we firmly stand on the ground? Or how can we not be shaken by external challenges? And the second question is, how can we become independent of what others think of us? So in regard to the first, first question, how can we be anchored in ourselves? Or how can we firmly stand on the ground? How can we be not shaken by external challenges? And the basic answer to these questions is with acceptance. Namely, the acceptance of things as they are. And this includes all different sides in us. Our good sides, our bad sides, our beautiful side, our ugly side, what we feel as light, what we feel as heavy, or acceptance of what feels pleasant and what feels unpleasant. And we also could express it differently, namely in the way Ayaviranyani was talking about in her talk yesterday, talking about equanimity. You know, this balanced state of mind. So this acceptance of things as they are comes with the understanding of impermanence or change and also with an understanding of karma. Karma as the law of cause and effect in regard to our actions of body, speech and mind. So if, it would be good if we had a basic understanding of impermanence, the fact that things change, that they do not stay the same forever, that they do arise and pass away, and also to have some understanding of karma, namely that intentional actions of body, speech, and mind do have results, do produce results. And this understanding of impermanence, of karma, can come either through the practice of vipassana meditation, or it can also be intellectual understanding by reading books, 
listening to talks. So in regard to this acceptance and staying open and kind, you know, can we still accept and be kind to ourselves even if we are not as patient as we think we should be? Or can we still accept and be kind to ourselves even if we are angry to our neighbor? Or can we accept and be kind to ourselves in the face of a challenging situation? Or can we accept and still be kind to ourselves when, do, when things do not happen the way we want them to happen or to be? Many people have the idea that first they need to be perfect, whatever that means to them, so that they need to be perfect before they can accept themselves or before they can be kind to themselves. And very often this wish to be perfect the desire to be better or different than one is, this drives people through their life, time and again. People always want to be somewhere else than they are actually right now. So people want to be the perfect mother. They want to be the better teacher. Or they want to be the impeccable boss or they want to be the successful student, or they want to be the perfect, you name it. And of course, this desire or expectation to be perfect, to be better, this creates stress. It creates dissatisfaction. It creates worry. In this way, people often do not live their life, but often they are driven in their life. And very often people are slaves to their unrealistic expectations or slaves of their selfish desires and hopes. And so in this way, they are never good enough. They are always lacking something. Or they are always looking for something else out there. So if we always reach outside to get the acceptance or to get the love or to get the praise that we so dearly want, of course, then we are bound to have problems. So what we can do, what we need to do, is to accept ourselves the way we are. So to be 
kind to ourselves, to be friendly with ourselves. If we can be kind and friendly and loving with ourselves, then we do not constantly need to look for this kindness and love out there, somewhere else. So if we are able to be kind to ourselves, to accept ourselves, to love ourselves, this makes us feel at ease. Then we feel happy. Then we are at peace with ourselves. And if we can do it, or if it is possible to be at ease, to be kind to ourselves, we will experience it as, as if a big burden drops. As you know, the practice of metta meditation aims directly at this point to develop this quality of kindness, of friendliness in our heart, in our mind, to develop this quality for ourselves and for others. And the starting point, as you also know very well, is to develop it for ourselves. And this is done with the purpose to understand that deep within we have this wish to be happy and well, or to be healthy and strong, this wish to be free from disease or distress. And then, based on this understanding, we come to understand that on this very basic level, other beings are not different from us. They too, they simply want to be happy and well, healthy and strong. So with this practice, we try not to see others in regard to the differences between us, but we try to see what we have in common. And this is why we start the practice of metta with the development of loving-kindness for ourselves. Renate Seifert is a German meditation teacher and a friend of mine. And in one of her books, she has written, we begin the practice of metta with ourselves because if we are able to treat ourselves with more benevolence and consideration, then the chances are getting bigger that we will be able to do it as well with other fellow human beings. To love oneself is the base to love others. Now we go 
to the second aspect, to the second question, which is how can we become independent of what others think of us? We probably realize that we are quite dependent on others for our self-esteem or for our self-worth, self-worth, our feeling of worthiness. Who does not like to get praise and approval? I surely do. And I'm sure you all do as well. So to get praise and approval makes us feel good. This makes us feel being a somebody. And this increases our self-esteem. So if we could get this sense of being a somebody from ourselves, then we would not need to get it from others. And in this way, we would be, be independent from what others think of us or what they say about us. And this means we do not need to reach out, reach out to others, but in this way, we are self contained or self-reliant. Godwin Samara Ratne was a Sri Lankan meditation teacher for many years. He taught at the Nilambe Meditation Center in Sri Lanka. And he said, you know, we should be our own best friend. He said, meditation of loving kindness is so important in the sense that you learn to be your own best friend. And if you can really make that connection with yourself, then I think your dependency on what others think of you becomes less. Because whatever you need from others, you get it from yourself. You will become self-contained within yourself. The transformation that happens through the practice of metta, metta meditation, it's really amazing. In the many years that I have been teaching metta meditation, I have heard from quite uh, a big number of meditators amazing and very heartening reports about their transformation as well as the transformation of others. Four years ago, during the Metta retreat here, a, Mal a Malaysian meditator had said, when I radiate Metta for myself, 
I feel like I have fallen in love with myself. Indeed, we should all fall in love with ourselves. Of course, just in the case it has not yet happened. And of course, the love this meditator means, the love I mean, is the kind of unconditional meta-love. This kind of meta-love that is free from attachment, desire, entanglement, that is free from aversion or any expectations. Or an Australian meditator had said that her impatient and short-tempered husband gradually became more patient and more loving through her meta-practice. But actually, she did not tell her husband that she was practicing metta. She practiced metta for herself. She also practiced metta for her husband. And then, gradually, over time, both of them noticed that their relationship got smoother. And one day, when this couple had invited a friend, the husband said to that friend, you know, my wife, she is going to these Buddhist meditation retreats, and she also practices at home. And you know, it's cool. You know, she does the practice, but I also profit from it. <laughs> or a German meditator had related the following experience. She was an elderly lady. She was also an old yogi, meaning that she had been practicing meditation for many, many years, both vipassana meditation and metta meditation. And this is what she said. I was a teacher at the high school in Stuttgart, Germany. Quite often, the students arrived in the morning already drunk and doped, and often they were late. This bunch of students was quite difficult. One day, I started to cultivate metta for myself on the way to school. I always walked to school. It took me about half an hour. In this way, I practiced metta meditation for myself every day for half an hour. About six months later, when we had our weekly discussion round, one of the students said, you know, somehow you have changed. And so I asked, in what way? And the student said, you have become calmer 
and you seem to be more at ease. And the yogi teacher said, and I have to say that I experienced the students no longer as difficult as I had perceived them six months ago. And they were still late and still drunk and still doped. <laughs> so when we are really in love with ourselves, of course, meta-love, then we can abide in kindness, in friendliness with ourselves, which also means then we fully accept ourselves the way we are. Then we are fully at ease with the way we are. So then we can be at peace, at peace with ourselves, at peace with the difficult students, and at peace with the world. And so in this way, we can become our own best friend, or at least we can be at good terms, on good terms with ourselves. And we know from our own direct experience, when the heart is filled with kindness, with benevolence for ourselves, it feels nice. What better could we wish for ourselves? You know, what better gift could we give ourselves and the world? Here comes another story, a true one, which illustrates the power of metta of somebody who is deeply anchored in metta and how it can affect others, how it can make other people's hearts melt. Venerable Lokanata was an Italian Buddhist monk. And in the 1940s, he walked all the way from Italy to India. And as he was walking through Turkey, somewhere in the countryside, a group of bandits um, showed up and they wanted his money. But Venerable Lokanata, he kept the Vinaya, the rules for monastics, very strictly. He didn't have any money with him. And so then the monk said that he had no money. But of course, these people wouldn't believe him. How can one travel without money? But so they said, you must have money. Give us the money. But the monk said, no, sorry, I don't have any money. And the bandits again pressed and said, come on. And they threatened him and said, if you don't give your money, we are going to kill you. 
the monk said that this was okay, but that they should give him 10 minutes to, f to say his final prayers because he was a religious person. So the bandits stood around him in a circle and allowed him these 10 minutes to say his final prayers. So the monk sat down on the ground and what he did was to cultivate metta for these people, for his potential murderers. And as Venerable Lokanata was sitting there saying his final prayers or radiating metta, the force of his genuine pure metta was so strong that the men started to soften, that their hearts started to melt. And when the 10 minutes were up, Venerable Lokanata stood up, said that he had finished his prayers and that now they could do with him what they wanted. But by now the man said, oh, um, sorry, we, we can't kill you. You are a religious man. Please continue your journey. So not only was Venerable Lokanata's heart filled with genuine, pure metta, but on account of that pure metta, there was also no fear. We have heard that metta is the opposite of dosa. Dosa including all forms of irritation, ill will, hatred, aversion, and also fear. Fear belongs to this category of dosa. So with genuine pure metta, then in that moment, fear is also absent. And this is what a Tibetan teacher manifested. It was Tujom Rinpoche, a Tibetan uh, teacher, and uh, he visited the United States. He was in New York. And one day, he walked alone down a street in New York. And a man came towards him and threatened him with a gun. Now, Dujom Rinpoche, being very kind and friendly, looked this man straight into his eyes, put his hands in Anjali, and bowed to that man. And the guy was so confused <laughs> that he simply dropped the gun and ran away. <laughs> So to the degree that our metta becomes really strong, pervasive, and powerful, to this degree, dosa becomes weaker, and it is less burning.
um, a monk called Silachara. He has said, whoever practices metta becomes also a destroyer, a destroyer of the ugliest, the most unbeautiful thing there is in this world, namely hatred, enmity, ill will. And this is in line with something that the Buddha had said, something the Buddha had said in connection to dosa. We know the Buddha always encouraged people not to kill other living beings, not to harm other living beings. But one time, the Buddha was asked whose killing he would approve. And then the Buddha said he approved the killing of dosa, of anger. So now I want to talk about the common ground of metta and sila, of loving kindness and virtue. The teachings of the Buddha can be summarized with a verse from the Dhammapada. And we have already mentioned it a few times. It's this verse, to do good, to avoid evil, to purify one's heart and mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. So, to cultivate the good, to avoid evil, purify the heart and mind, this is quite a straightforward and simple advice. But then, it's not that easy to put it into the practice. And maybe also questions arise, namely, what does it mean to do good? What is meant by good or helpful, beneficial? Or how can I avoid evil? And what do I need to do in order to purify the heart, and the mind. So to put this short teaching into practice, the Buddha has actually mentioned many different approaches to do good, to avoid evil, to purify the heart and the mind. Among the many different approaches, there are, for example, to follow the precepts, cultivate virtue, sila, or to develop the Brahma Viharas, metta, karuna, mudita, upekha, or to practice generosity, dana, or to polish one's paramis such as patience, tolerance, truthfulness, effort, or renunciation, 
or to practice any kind of samatha meditation or to engage in vipassana meditation and so on. So out of these many approaches, I will pick two of them and show how these two approaches overlap each other and how they complement each other and how they manifest actually as the same result on a very practical level. And these two approaches are very easy to integrate into our day-to-day life, to practice uh, in our day-to-day life. It's the two approaches of metta and sila, loving-kindness and virtue, or ethical conduct. And most of the time, these two approaches are dealt with separately. Either you hear talks about virtue or you hear a talk about metta. But their practical aim is not really different. Both approaches, practices, aim at friendliness, at benevolence. They aim at respect for other people, respect for oneself. Sila, this is the Pali word for virtue or ethical conduct, morality. And it refers to actions of body and speech. Actions of body and speech in relation to other beings, to other people, to animals, or whatever other living beings there are. The Buddha had defined virtuous conduct like this. Wholesome bodily actions, wholesome verbal actions, and purification of livelihood. Purification of livelihood means that we earn our livelihood based on wholesome bodily actions and wholesome verbal actions. So basically, wholesome bodily and verbal actions, virtuous conduct, is behavior that does not hurt or harm anybody, any other being but that also does not hurt and harm ourselves. And this virtuous conduct is actually based on common sense. Common sense like, in the same way, I do not want to be hurt by others, so then I do not hurt others. Or in the same way, I do not want to be offended. I should not offend anybody else. Or in the same way that I want that others tell me the truth, I should tell the truth. 
or in the same way, I do not want to be sexually abused, I should not sexually abuse or harm others. So it's based on this common sense that we should treat others in the same way we want to be treated by others. How do we want to be treated? Namely, in a respectful way, in a friendly, in a kind way, in a patient, accepting way. But because many people live under the strong influence or habit of greed or aversion, then their actions are fueled by this greed or uh, aversion. So when their actions of body and speech are fueled by these harmful, uh, unskillful states of mind, then as we know, the result is devastating. Animals are killed, banks are robbed, women are raped, ethnic minorities are cleansed, or drunken drivers cause fatal accidents, and so on. In all the religions, in all spiritual traditions, we have, we find ethical guidelines that point to a decent human behavior, a behavior that uh, doesn't harm others. Like in Christianity, there are the Ten Commandments. Or the Buddha, he proposed five ethical guidelines to follow for a decent human behavior that does not cause any harm or suffering to others and oneself. So sila as virtue, first of all, it's the basis, the ground for our practice of liberation. But then it is also the result of our practice. Initially, we follow these ethical guidelines, these precepts, because we realize that they are a skillful frame for the purification of the heart and mind. But then, after deepening our practice, after deepening our understanding, later on, we no longer need this outer frame because based on our direct and personal understanding, we no longer engage in such harmful or unskillful behavior. Lama Anagarika Govinda was a German Buddhist. He was also a student of Venerable Nyanati Loka, a German monk who lived in Sri Lanka. 
He lived in the last century. And he had said, for a Buddhist, virtue is the practical expression of his level of understanding. Virtue is not the cause, but the effect of our attitude. Sila, virtue, is really a very important part of our whole practice. And how important it is, this is reflected in the fact that virtue is part of the Eightfold Path. Among the eight factors of the path, three belong to the sila group, namely right action, right speech, and right livelihood. The Buddha had clearly realized that liberation is not possible without virtuous behavior. And this is why he integrated this important aspect of our life into the path. And so with this, we should also understand that the practice of liberation, purification of heart and mind, that this practice does not only consist of intensive meditation retreats or of practicing for decades in a secluded cave or a jungle. We really have to integrate all aspects of our life into our practice. So sila, virtue, is our behavior as we relate to other people, to other living beings. So sila is a relational practice. And as I said, being virtuous, we do not want to harm or to hurt others. Being virtuous, we want to help others, to support others, to benefit others. The practice of metta is also a relational practice. It's also happening on the level of our attitude towards other beings, people, animals, other beings. And as you know, we wish others to be happy, healthy, and so on. And so our behavior based on metta is also one of not harming or causing suffering. And as you know, metta is manifested on three levels. Manifested on the level of the body, bodily actions. Manifested on the level of speech, verbal action. And manifested on the level of the heart and mind as thoughts, mental attitude. So being on a metta meditation retreat and engaging in the cultivation of loving kindness, this happens mostly on the mental level. 
And as we have pointed out, this is very important because all physical actions, all speech originates in the mind. But as we have also repeatedly stressed, this meta attitude or quality needs to be expressed in our body, in our speech. Then we call it a meta-action or meta-speech. This is you know, also one of the chants that we do uh, almost every night. Meta indeed, speech and thoughts. So with these reflections on sila and metta, it becomes obvious that both approaches aim at a respectful and non-harming behavior. The approaches are different, but on a practical level, the result is the same. So the sila approach, you know, we want that others do not hurt us, so we should not hurt others. The metta approach is we want to be happy, peaceful, and we understand that others also want to be happy and peaceful. And this means when we wish them to be happy, we do not harm them. Or we can say, the sila approach is about not harming other living beings. And this is also evident in the way these ethical guidelines are formulated. For example, you know, the first precept is formulated as, I undertake the precept to refrain from killing and harming living beings. So explicitly it is stated what I should not do or what I should avoid, namely the killing. But implicitly it means that I train myself to protect other living beings, not to cause them harm or suffering, or that they protect them from being killed. And so this implicit aspect of sila is nothing other than an expression of metta, an expression of benevolence and kindness, the wish that they may live happily, peacefully. Then the metta approach, this is based on the heart's quality of loving kindness, of benevolence, unconditional love. And so when this quality of metta is deeply anchored in our heart and mind, then we naturally refrain from all kinds of actions and speech that could hurt 
other beings that could cause suffering in any way. So with metta, the explicit wish is that all beings be happy and peaceful. And so as a result, on the implicit level, we do not anything that could harm them, that could uh, cause them any suffering. So then our behavior is of such uh, a way that we do not destroy their happiness and well-being, which means we naturally avoid harmful behavior. So in this way we see that sila is also an expression of metta, and metta is also an expression of sila. So whether you stress, lay stress on sila in your day-to-day -day life, or whether you lay stress on the aspect of metta in your day-to-day -day life, the other practice is also included as well. To end this talk, I want to share the words of an old woman living in Agra in India. She is a Sufi sage, wise woman, and she had said, the people of the world have learned how to fill up earthen bowls with grains and coins. Her way of saying of how to accumulate wealth and money. But, she says, but no one knows how to fill the ball of the heart. Well, there are people who know. All of you know by, well, by now very well how you can fill the ball of the heart. So may you all very happily continue to fill the ball of the heart with metta, with patience and tolerance, with generosity, with virtue, with understanding and wisdom, and with many more of the beautiful states of heart and mind. And may it be for the welfare and happiness of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.